I really wanted that song to be uh, bad boys, bad boys, what you, but it uh, got voted down. That's too bad. Um, but today we are starting the series, uh, The Bad Boys of Lent. We're going to be doing a character study, looking at some of the infamous characters in the story of Jesus that really led to all the events that are going to happen preceding and then during Holy Week. Uh, it's in those weeks preceding the crucifixion that different people intersect with the story of Jesus, and each one seems to have their own agenda or perspective on the person of Christ. Um, these are the people who try to get in Jesus' way. They all reject him as Messiah, and ultimately, they're used by the devil to distract him. It didn't work. But that's one of the things for all of us to remember is that the devil likes to use people to distract the mission of God. And we're going to see that in each of these stories. And so during the season of Lent, as we journey with Jesus towards the cross, the question we have to ask is, how do we expose when that same thing happens to us? When the devil wants to distract us from the mission and purpose of God in our lives, and wants to get us to take a detour and instead try to use us for evil. And in the story of Caiaphas, we're going to see this. See, we read these stories and we wonder, how could these men be so naive? How could they be so arrogant? How could they be so stubborn? But I think chances are there's a little bit of each of them in all of us. It's in our hearts. It's in the ways we treat people. Because each of them had a coveted opportunity to stand in the presence of the Savior of the world. Think about it. That generation is the only generation that got to meet Jesus as a man. And to see him and to watch the miracles, to be present for it all, to actually hear the teaching with their own ears. That generation had a chance to meet and be in the presence of the Savior of the world. The most pivotal event in human history. But the question was, would they refuse to get rid of their own agenda and to follow God's will? The problem is, their stories instead illustrate a resistance to God. And if we're being honest, if you read each of their stories, you will see how silly it is to try to resist the will of God. Because God's will will be done. In the end, each left a legacy that underscores the very truth that they fought so hard to accept. God's in control. His will will be done. And each of them, unbeknownst to them, kind of played a part in the inescapable, inevitable plans that God had for the world. Uh, our fast first bad boy is Joseph Caiaphas. He was the Jewish high priest from approximately 18 AD to 36 AD. Uh, first, his background. Uh, Caiaphas was appointed by the Roman governor, the one right before Pontius Pilate. So Pontius Pilate comes in as governor. He doesn't even get to pick the new high priest. That one was picked by his predecessor. So Pilate has got to negotiate things here. He's got to work with the leader of the Jews and he's got to have the favor of the leader of Jews. So Caiaphas really has the power here. Here's another thing about Caiaphas. His father-in-law 
and his five brothers-in-law also served as high priest or would later serve as high priest. So the priesthood stayed in this one family for 40 years. They had a stranglehold on power in Israel. Caiaphas was known as a grand negotiator. He was always in the right place at the right time. He always looked good. Uh, history tells us uh, that others envied his, comp his confidence and his accomplishments. And that you didn't want to cross Caiaphas because he was quite vengeful. Uh, there are legendary stories about his temper. He got his way because he demanded his way. He always won because he refused to lose. For Caiaphas, the end always justified the means. He wound up in the seat of power, and he had every intention of staying there forever. I think it's fair to say that Caiaphas was the most powerful Jewish person in Israel and everywhere for about 20 years. Uh, he was president of the Sanhedrin. He was allowed direct counsel with Pontius Pilate, if not a little bit of authority over Pontius Pilate. There were many perks. The flow of money was tremendous. And as long as he kept Rome happy, Rome was happy to keep him rich. Uh, everything was fine. Everything was going according to his plan until Jesus showed up. For Caiaphas, to see Jesus the effect that he had on the Jewish people. Uh, see, G Jesus seemed to hold the Jewish Sanhedrin and the temple ruling class in contempt. Jesus threatened the peace and the peacekeepers. He often rebuked them harshly and very publicly. It's pretty hard to see Jesus give a harsh word to almost anybody in Scripture. He never speaks poorly of Caesar. He never speaks poorly of the soldiers. He never speaks poorly of anybody except the priests and the ruling class of the Jews. How about this time that he called them snakes? He called them a brood of vipers. He said, how will you escape being condemned to hell? You know, Jesus doesn't condemn a lot of people to hell, just people like this. But that's not the only time that Jesus called out the high priests. You won't find this in any commentary, but I really believe, you know, if you look at Jesus' parables, almost all of his parables, they're kind of made-up stories that tell a true point. But I think there's one parable that might be about one particular person, namely Joseph Caiaphas. This is in Luke 16. Jesus said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in the fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. 
but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I believe the rich man that's dressed in purple linen who lived in luxury is Caiaphas because that's exactly how the high priest dressed. And we know that in John chapter 12, the chief priests were plotting to kill Lazarus, Jesus' best friend. They were plotting to kill him because Lazarus had already died and then Jesus raised him to life. And now they want to kill him again so they can get the people to stop talking about Jesus the miracle worker. It was messing with their plans. It was messing with their power. See, that was the final straw that was threatening the temple establishment. The fact that Lazarus came back to life. And the veiled reference in this parable, why I think this parable is about Caiaphas, is because it points out that the rich man had five brothers. And we know Caiaphas had five brothers-in-law who would all become high priests, and none of them recognized Jesus as Messiah. And none of them would recognize that Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead, was raised by Jesus. And none of them would listen, even if Lazarus came back from the dead, which he literally did. The real Lazarus did. But they didn't care. So I think Jesus in this parable is poking the bear. And again, Jesus doesn't pick on a lot of people in the New Testament. Just the ruling class that's keeping the people down. Jesus is poking the ruling class and he's calling them out. And quickly, the priests and the leaders, they realized that their strategy of discrediting Jesus wasn't working. They were losing control. And so they came up with an idea. We need a trial and a crucifixion. And that's where I want to turn next in Scripture. This is Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And at that same time, the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest. His name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or they may be, there may be a riot among the people. Just notice in the text real quick that it says chief priests, plural. There's only one chief priest at a time. But Caiaphas' father-in-law was kind of like the chief priest emeritus. He still had lots of power and he was still alive and he was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was also an advisor to Caiaphas. Annas was still very influential, very powerful, even after retirement. And this was their conversation in Matthew 26. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they didn't find any. 
Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing about you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus gives one of his rare answers during his trial. He said, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, his robes, and he said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face. They struck him, priests. The priests struck him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you. And I think that's where we enter the story. See, what Caiaphas did not realize is that Jesus' death multiplied Jesus' influence. And now, history tells us Caiaphas is just a footnote in Jesus' story. The most powerful Jewish person of his time is now just a footnote in the story of Jesus. And there's a little application. If we're being honest, there's a little Caiaphas in all of us. This little Caiaphas wants to preserve his kingdom at all costs. We tell God, help me or get out of my way. The pressure to preserve what, what we think we've built, what we've created, what we've accomplished, it has the potential to drive us to self-destructive extremes. It drove Caiaphas to murder an innocent man, to murder the one who came to save him. I, for one, know that saying yes to God is going to cost you something, but man, saying no to God, it's going to cost you so much more. And so the key question for this morning is, what have you, what have I, what have we put in the place of God? What have you put in the place of God and your faith and what God wants to do in your life? See, why did Caiaphas want Jesus to die so much? Because in raising Lazarus, Jesus had stripped Caiaphas of his control of the people. In the days and weeks preceding the first Easter, the high priest stood in the presence of Jesus, the Savior of the world. But he refused to abandon his quest for control. He refused to surrender to God. See, again, I think each of these characters, it'd be very, very easy to look at one of them and say, how could he be such a fool? But that's not the right question. The right question is, how am I foolish? How have I put things before God in my life? 
See, we try to preserve whatever it is we've replaced God with in our lives. It could be your reputation, your relationships, could be your position, your career, your beauty, uh, your GPA, your standard of living. Um, But those things are already diminishing in value. Generally, our greatest regrets are connected to attempts to preserve something that isn't even a part of your life anymore. Things that aren't even really that important when you get to the end of life and you look back. It's like, why did I spend so much time on that stuff? And that pressure to preserve these little gods, these idols, can eventually drive you to extremes that can harm yourself or cause you to harm others. It's also very tempting when you read a story like this to blame somebody like Caiaphas for Jesus' crucifixion or or to blame Pilate to blame the Sanhedrin. But it's also true that the blame falls on each of us because of our sin. And that's why we started worship with confession. Because we got to realize the reason Jesus went to the cross is because of the sin that's in my life. And Jesus actually makes it clear in Scripture, nobody crucified him. Jesus makes it clear that he laid down his life willingly. This is what he says in John 10. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Nobody crucified Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. In fact, Jesus didn't die until on the cross, he gave up his spirit. Jesus gave it up. Nobody took it from him. In Lutheran theology, we tell you that salvation is a gift of God. You can't earn it. And that gift begins with these words of Jesus. He lays down his life willingly for you and for me. Caiaphas' plotting and Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial and Pilate's sentencing, everyone was trying to keep control. But in the end, they just became a servant of God's will. And that's true in your life too. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in salvation, that is very good. Now, I want to ask you to put your faith in his will for your life. Not just for your eternal life, but put his will in your life now. His will for your dating life, his will for your career, his will for how you treat people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. See, Caiaphas chose the wrong path. He lived and he ruled during the most important event in human history. And yet he missed it. If anything, he played a part in the opposite. There is one interesting prophecy that Caiaphas had that was actually true. He, he prophesied something about Jesus, but he kind of did it by accident. Like he wasn't trying to compliment Jesus. He certainly wasn't trying to prophesy that Jesus would do something significant. But kind of by accident, Caiaphas preaches the gospel. It's found in John 11. Caiaphas, who was the high priest, he spoke up. And he said to the people, you know nothing at all. 
You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish, which is true. He didn't say this on his own, the Bible tells us, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. He thought he was killing Jesus to get him out of the way and to unite the people. But in reality, in killing Jesus, he unleashed the grace of God on the world. And through that, the grace and forgiveness, God was able to supernaturally forgive the world. And God was able to make us one. Or to say it another way, by attempting to stop Jesus, he actually advanced the cause of the gospel. Because without the cross, there's no forgiveness. I want to close by showing you a picture. This is an ossuary. Uh, an ossuary is a bone box. See, they would leave your body in a tomb, your family's tomb, and when your body decayed, they would gather the bones if you were very important, and they would put you in a marked ossuary. And thanks to archaeology, this is the ossuary, the bone box, with Caiaphas's bones. Joseph Caiaphas. Notice something, it's still closed. He's still in it. The other tomb that we talk about during the Easter season, that one's got a stone rolled away. That's the difference. See, Caiaphas used all his power to serve himself. Now, the most powerful religious person of his time is merely a footnote in the story of the gospel. He was so busy trying to make his point he missed the point. And here's the point. God's will will be done. And so we better give control to the one who's got an empty tomb. Let's pray.